This is the Valaran Perspective. We explore working, leading, and finding value in an uncertain world. I'm Aaron Smith. This is Benjamin Carsage. And I'm Chris Vaughn. Thanks for listening. Let's get rolling. Welcome back to the Valaran Perspective. And we're going to today be digging into a particular part of the leadership, the broader leadership conversation, which is the idea of scaling leadership. So there's a lot of discussion out in the corporate space and out in the leadership space about what leadership means and the high level of it. Ben and I have seen a lot of problems start to develop when leadership becomes structured and you have leaders of leaders and uh, organizational layers and things like this. So we're going to dig into that today. And we're going to start with what problems we've seen as the first section here. So Ben, let me lay this out and then I'd love to just like pull in, like and get a get a conversation going here about this because yeah, yeah. There's there's how to interpret what's happening and then there's like what's happening. I would say that what's happening is I see that there is a diminishing return of the effectiveness of individual leaders as they move up the leadership hierarchy. Mm-hmm. And in general, we you mentioned the Peter principle earlier when we were talking about this. There is a, I think, an assumption a lot of the time that a lot of this is just, well, your competency level just diminishes as you get promoted because eventually if you keep doing well, you're going to keep getting promoted and eventually you get promoted out of competence. I always felt like there was more to the story than that. And one, for example, one of the things I've seen is that the nature of what you do and the nature of how you do it changes as a leader as you elevate. Yeah, yeah. And I think I think for when when you're describing it, I th- there's something to be said for as you go higher up in organizational hierarchy, the role becomes harder and perhaps fewer people have the necessary skills to be successful. Simultaneously, what those skills are and how they change is rarely articulated or taught well. And by the way, that last thing you just mentioned actually strikes a thought in me that I've had for a long time, which is what if it's possible that the way the hierarchy works isn't necessarily just like a skill ladder from one to 15? What if there are some people that are going to be better at levels five to nine exactly, and other people that are going to be better at levels 12 to 18? Like what if somebody has the strategic skills, some of the core strategic skills uh, more innately to be a really good CEO, even when they're an associate. Yes. But, the, but they'll never be able to really bring those to bear until they work their way through all the other layers. So, and, and there's nothing wrong with that necessarily, but like, I think that it, we often embrace a fallacy, which is that like it, that all the, they're, they're strung along as the natural progression of everyone's skill set and what everyone is good and bad at. Yeah. It's like, you have to go through this, you're going to go to this and then you're going to this and then you're going to like, you'll start out and you'll lead a small team. And then as you figure out that you're going to lead a bigger team. And that thing I've, I've told people when I'm, um, when I've managed them or whatever, when I'm trying to like give them advice about what does it mean? Cause I would get asked that question. What does it mean to get promoted? It's not just, you have to do the things you know how to do as an associate leader somewhere better. It's actually that you need to figure out which of those skill sets no longer apply and what are the new things you need to learn. And a lot of that, like, is 
not taught. It's not part of the broader leadership curriculum because the broader leadership curriculum focuses on you in charge of six to eight people, let's say. Yeah. And, and, and by the way, um, none of it's taught. Like as we were talking about earlier, like I just pulled up, I, I'd, I'd heard about studies done on management training and leadership training available in the corporate space. And basically the long and short of it is that the majority of managers haven't really been trained yeah. to do their jobs effectively, even at the most basic level. Like if you're uh, running an org of more than three to five direct reports, like you've basically, you're, it's unlikely that you've been trained yes. to do your job in any effective way. Uh, and that, and again, what we're talking about is getting more into the, the sort of meat and potatoes about like what it actually means to be a director versus like a team leader. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a whole, that's no one talks about that. Right. But like a lot of people will talk about like, well, how do you manage a direct report? And most people, don't, most leaders don't even have that training. Most managers don't Correct. even have that training. And that, and that is distinct from I'm leading a team or to try to deliver a piece of a product or a product. I'm leading a set of teams trying to deliver a larger, more complex product. Like none of that is people management. And, and it's not, I'm not saying there's not overlapping skills. There totally are. But the idea of like, what does it mean to be a leader um, at these different levels, because in some sense, the reason we use the same word is because we're trying to get that person to do the same thing in all those layers. And for me, like my definition of that is like influencing others towards the goal. That That is what we're trying to do at all the layers. But how do you do that? Because when you're working with three people on your team and you're the leader of that four-person group, the way you influence others is dramatically different than if you're leading 120 people or 400 people or whatever it is. The it's not it's not like you just take all the skills you used and scale them infinitely. And I mean I, that was something we'd see. Actually, a perfect example of what you're just talking about is like, and I've seen this leadership archetype do really well at a lot of organizations, which is I'm the sort of um, I'm going to use this term. I don't mean it pejoratively. I'm the brute force leader mm -hmm. who sets it, who sets an example. Like when we're out on the soccer field, I'm going to be running the hardest, pushing myself the hardest, being the most aggressive and getting the ball. Like this is your project manager who knows every detail. They know everything who's going, that's going on. Everything is documented. They show up to every meeting. They work long hours. Like this person inspires through their work ethic and their willingness to go the extra mile <clears throat> in every situation, that person gets promoted. Okay, now there, there are other leaders responsible to this person, and this person has a broader scope. So they keep doing that. They keep leading in that way through direct example, I'm gonna work harder and I'm gonna work harder and I'm gonna work harder and I'm gonna work harder. Now, the challenge is, is that your ability to scale your results through additional effort diminishes dramatically as you move up the corporate ladder. Yes, this, the scale is overwhelming. Once you hit like a level of a director or a VP, like hard work is not like, in, in fact, the opposite can happen where if you try to stay too steeped in the details, you try to stay too steeped in the like day-to-day -day work and knowing everything that's going on and, and, and being able to sort of like apply yourself on every specific problem that happens, you're actually going to often do more damage to your organization and disempower your people who you now need to be helping you scale. So, and this is a common one well, trap that leaders fall into when they get promoted. And there's a, there's a currency that this one focuses on that that model focuses on, which is knowledge. 
Do you know all the things? And when someone who is senior to you asks you a question, if they frame the world through, I like the people and the leaders that know more things, that know that like a good leader knows everything that's going on. He knows every nut and bolt. And there's there's like nuggets of truth in that. But the reality is that a lot of times, if you're at a director level, that's impossible. Yeah. And so for you to pretend to know everything or to put a massive effort into knowing everything is to actually start pulling responsibility away from the leaders you should be developing to be able to fill your role. Because actually knowledge is not the key currency anymore. Just like yeah. work, like you can kind of shift it from maybe at the base level, can you do all the work? Can you be industrious enough? And then it's like, well, can you know enough to direct everybody else to do the work? And then you go, up to, wait a minute, how do I set up a context where other people have the knowledge they need to present the information so that we get the right work done? Which is strategy. That's strategy by nature. Yes. What you just said. And actually, and that's so interesting, right? Because you can be the most unbelievably focused, inspiring workhorse and lead from the front type person and have no strategic skill whatsoever. Correct. And setting up frameworks where people can reference the framework and go, oh, that's the kind of behavior we're supposed to have. That's the kind of culture we aspire to be in this organization that our leader has set up because they set up these frameworks. Like that kind of stuff requires a, 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 a different set of skills. And so I think that that's what happens. And it's funny, I love the, some of the stuff you just said there. And one of the thoughts came up is like for every high-powered, overperforming team-level lead, that leads from the front through sheer force of will and gets promoted, there's somebody else on the other end of that who just got that person as their manager who's now being micromanaged. Correct. Yeah. And again, I don't want to oversimplify this, but it's, it's I see that pattern consistently. Yes. And, and there's a lack of recognition in the corporate space, I think in our industry, about that step shift that occurs. Exactly. It's like, now you're now you're operating at a higher level and a higher level doesn't just mean more responsibility. I think that's the trap we fall into. You move up a level, more responsibility. You move up a level, more responsibility. No, you don't just have more responsibility. You have more responsibility, but you also have a completely different kind of responsibility. Yes, the opportunities and the problems that you are now facing are distinct from what you were facing before. I mean, we, we both encountered this with, people who, you know, in, in a, let's say modern tech world, video game space, whatever it is like software, one of the things like, oh, are you having one-on-ones with your people? Well, if you're on a four person team and you're the leader of that team, my guess is you're doing one-on-ones with all those people and you're meeting with them regularly back in the old days, you're sitting together or right now you're in the remote world together. Okay. Now you're leading 40 people. Are you still doing one-on-ones with everybody? And there's people who would answer that question. Yes, absolutely. You need to be doing them. And look, maybe once a year, right? Like, but Honestly, if you're doing that every two weeks or even every month, I'm going to be honest, like you, you have not actually made the transition. You're still trying to, and perhaps in a very like, you know, transformational leadership way, a very servant leadership way, you're still trying to apply all the techniques that work when you're the one leader on an eight person team in, oh my God. into a space yeah, yeah. of teams and teams of teams. And, and it's, it doesn't And you know, work. you know, what's so funny about what you just said too, is, is the implication there is that like. Well, you said it directly. It's like, you know, you're like, you don't actually know the difference between what you do now and what you used to do. Yeah. And what's funny about that is if you don't know the difference between what you do now and what you used to do, 
there's no way in hell you're going to be able to teach somebody to do what you used to do because you don't even know the difference. Right. Which means that there's no way you're going to actually be able to scale your organization through leadership by delegation and empowerment. Yes. So you're going to be forced to rely on the only tools that you know, which is direct contact. Yes. And that, so that's so interesting how that becomes like the self-reinforcing loop, right? And I mean, you and I both encountered situations where people were working in our spaces and wanted promotions. And we were like, no, it's not because you're not doing great. You're a very high performing junior or mid-level person. It's because you're doing great at your current job. And if you want to be promoted, I need you to also prove that you can do great at a different job. Yes. And by the way, Part of the burden that was on us when we were saying that was to help them understand what that meant. Yes. And it, and you move. I, I, you know, I don't know if this is right or wrong. I That was the thing that just came into my head was you start with the currency being the work and the industriousness. And are you putting in the effort? And are you like hustling, right? Like, are you hustling well? And then you move up to a world where now it's about do I know everything so I can inform and make sure everybody's doing the right stuff? Maybe it's less about me doing the work, but mm-hmm. it's more about me making sure everybody else can do the work by telling them what to do or giving them the knowledge to do it, depending on your environment. And then you start stepping up and the I, I'm gonna come back, man, I've mentioned this so many times because I love it. It was the question that Mark Merrill asked you, what's the role of a senior leader in an organization? And your answer was to incentivize the behaviors I wanna see more of and disincentivize the behaviors I wanna see less of. Like, and, and I'm paraphrasing, mm-hmm. but that core idea, like it's funny because at each layer, you are actually, in each layer, you are leading by example. At the most junior level of leadership, you are leading by example by doing a lot of work. Um, at, at the higher level, you're leading by example by really staying informed about what's going on. Um, and you're demonstrating like, okay, I'm keeping track of things. I care about your work. I know what's going on. I, I And I can help you get it done. I can help connect the dots for you and other teams and all these different things. And when you step up again, you're still leading by example, but now the example you're setting is almost entirely cultural. And it's, what does it mean for you to be an effective individual inside of the organization? Because if you are leading 400 people and the way you do that is by knowing everything that's going on, you've burned out. You can't do it. And that disconnect, if you're trying, is go, you're going to fry. And then, mm-hmm. by the way, other people are going to be like, well, you're clearly not successful in this. And no one's going to realize that's because you're trying to apply like individual team level techniques into a giant organization. And there's the new skills that you need to build are how do I establish a culture where people can find out the right information so that they can do the right work. And a lot of that comes back to principle and how do we collaborate and what does it mean to be effective? And we've talked about incentives before, so I don't want to like beat that proverbial dead horse, but I do find that uh, for senior leaders that are um, often responsible for poor incentives within their organizations, um, their inability to see how their role has shifted as they've gone up the ladder, the corporate ladder is a huge part of that. Like, again, the classic thing is the director or the VP who is a highly competent executor. Like, yeah. this is a person who, and again, this this kind of allows you to have empathy as well, right? Because we've all yes. we've all been micromanaged by these types of people, um, or the people in these roles, I should say, and it sucks. Like, no one, like especially in a highly autonomous organization, and especially in technology where it's about a lot about empowering individuals, no one wants to be micromanaged. But it's like they're bizarrely by their lack of understanding about what their new role is and what it entails, 
probably because no one ever explained it to them. They are forced into the only thing they know how to do, which is to manage things directly, to execute, 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 execute. Mm -hmm. And how do you execute now that you're scaled across 150 people? Well, you have to know everything. Okay. How do you know everything? You make everybody report to you all the time. So now you've created a reporting infrastructure that is purely, that is not based around like what is valuable for the organization to communicate amongst itself to be effective. The, the, the litmus is, is how do we get the leader all the information that they need so that they can continue to make all the decisions. So it's, it's funny. It's like, when we're sitting here talking about the problems that we see, one of the problems I see is like, I've always felt that this is the case. Well, I, not always since I started getting into senior leadership, I always felt that this was the case, which is like, what do I need to let go of? Like letting go is huge. What do you need to let go of? Because if you want to empower your people, if you want to have an aligned and autonomous organization where people figure shit out and you're not constantly needed all the time, the only way to do that is for you to let go of things. You have to figure out a way you can trust your people. And the first requirement to doing that is going to be for you to be able to allow yourself to do that. Like if you can't allow yourself to do that, it will never happen. Like you'll create all kinds of jacked up incentives that are going to keep you as the nucleus of everything. And that's that is exactly like you, you, if you're doing it right, you can disappear for a month and shit will still keep working. Right. And this, it's funny there, there's a story that is told, um, when I was in the military and a lot of leadership training in the military and actually some recognition of this problem. And the story was you had different types of officers that joined the military. Some join, they go to college, they do ROTC or they go to West Point and then, you know, they're, they go in as officers and some go, uh, what's called green to gold, which is they started as enlisted. So they started as privates and then sergeants and whatnot. Um, and they shifted over. They decided at some point, like they got a college degree and now they go to officer candidate school and they end up becoming officers. And an interesting thing that would happen to some more senior enlisted folks, uh, relatively senior who shifted from the enlisted side to the officer side is they would easily be able to scale themselves uh, to the entry level of the platoon leader because they had already been platoon sergeants potentially in the actual, like in real units. They kind of knew what it was to run a platoon, but they would run a platoon, not like a platoon leader, but like a platoon sergeant by knowing every detail, by knowing everyone, by knowing everything and everything that was going on. And the platoon leader kind of never learned how to do that as well because they came straight out of college and hadn't had the experience of like starting with a squad and then going up to a platoon. But their focus was slightly different uh, in all that they're training. And so you'd see the platoon sergeant kind of be, who became a platoon leader say, I already know how to do this. And so they would apply the technique that they'd used as an NCO, as a non-commissioned officer, an enlisted person, uh, they would apply that to the officer side and it would work great. They would be like a super effective platoon leader. Then they get promoted. Now they become a company commander. 30 people or 40 people becomes 100 people, 150 people. And you watch them just start to crack because the method that they were using to try to keep track of everything was very much their own personal currency. And by the way, that keeps going. By the time you get to like colonel, which is a pretty senior rank uh, on the officer side, um, by the time you're a colonel, you are running potentially 3,700 people. If you can even recognize everybody that is in your unit, 
you're in good shape. Yeah. Um, much less actually know anything about them. Um, and by the and way, that, one thing I want to point out, and, and the reason I love this story and, and the military anecdotes here too, is because I think the military is a place, and actually we often see this in our space too, where people would hear us talking about this and they'd be like, oh yeah, of course, yes. Yeah, leaders struggle with that to scale themselves. But when they say that, they often are thinking about scale in pure terms of how many heads. Yes. Like how big or small is the organization? And one of the other factors, there's another axis here that you and I have talked about a lot too, which is it's not just about one head to a hundred heads. It's also about command and control or low autonomy organizations to high autonomy organizations. Because the thing is, is if you think about it just in terms of scaling yourself, like, well, I have to let stuff go. I have to let some control go because I have a hundred people now and I can't possibly control everything. It's not just that simple. It's also that you need to empower your people for them to continue to leverage their ingenious human characteristics to solve problems. Yes. Because because your organization requires creative, strategic problem solving on on every level. That may not be the case in an old school, more defined, more command and control organization where orders just flow down a, tra- a chain. Exactly. Right. Then then scale truly is just a matter of headcount. So it's it's funny. Like what, th- there is this difference also that I, I want people in technology and and more uh, knowledge work organizations to consider, which is a lot of leaders, I see this all the time, a lot of leaders who think of themselves as scaling purely in terms of headcount will go like, well, how do I get my people to be more autonomous? Man, they need me all the time. Like, how do I get them to not need me and just figure stuff out on their own? You know, I, I, I've, I've heard like even, you know, like concerns about willful ignorance and not wanting to take, like my people just won't take responsibility. Yep. And it's like, you have to teach them to be autonomous and you have to make way for them to be autonomous. That doesn't just like happen naturally. But, and by the way, part of letting them be autonomous and and getting yourself out of the situation of running things is recognizing that some things will fail and that they are going to learn through those failures and that the learning they gain through those failures is going to make them better, a better leader in the future. And we, we don't grasp that. So, I mean, yeah, I, I kind of want to, that's a good point too. Yeah. I want to sum up to some extent and maybe move into the next section. When we think about leadership, I view the core problem that we don't actually teach that there are these different, like how you said it, you know, these different like zero to 15 and that there's different skills you need at each one and there's skills you need to leave behind you. And, uh, we don't teach that. We don't, understand that when there's I, when no you look real at the literature. framework for this i don't think yeah yeah and and i mean i'm sure somebody's written about it somewhere right i have no doubt there's somebody that said but it's not commonly available and it's certainly not something that people are taught and in fact our incentive structure encourages the opposite mm-hmm. which is the thing that made me successful has allowed me to scale and so i expect you to be successful in the same way i was successful and then you don't realize that everybody's burning out and we're all yeah. contorting our organizations in order to support mm-hmm. the lack of learning the skills around cultural development rather than just being the person who does it all or being the person who knows it all so now it sounds like now we're starting to get into the next section here which is like okay what are some real stories about that sort of illustrate this 
And, and what are we actually talking about as far as like what we've learned that, that works and, and what is the real rubber meets road reality here? Um, and it, you know, you mentioned, um, we've been in situations where people have been asking us for promotions and we've said no. And, uh, where my mind went immediately was like, okay, well, what are the things that and I've had like team level leads? Like I'm leading seven people. Um, I'm, I'm facilitating the delivery of product on this one team. And I want to go up to like a team of teams. I want to be like a team of teams guy. I want to run like a 30 person organization. Like how do I view that transition? Mm-hmm. And a couple things that came up to, for me were frameworks. Can you take something you do right now that, that is good that you are currently rewarded for because you are the leader of a team. So like, wow, Jim really crushes it on delivery on this team. This team's so good. He's so, he's so clearly an impactful leader. Jim, can you explain to me what it is you do mm-hmm. in such a way that could be taught and transferred to other teams? If the answer is no, you are not ready to be a team of teams leader. Correct. If like, if you can't even explain to me what you're doing and why it works, you don't have a framework for it. You're just doing stuff and you've landed on something that works. And that means that, and I like, cause people are like, well, I mean, come on, isn't it enough to be intuitively? No, because when you are the team of teams leader, you are teaching the team leader. <laughs> yes. And that, I, I think some people like almost don't want that responsibility. They want to yeah. scale. Hey, put me in charge of more stuff. But I don't like frameworks. <laughs> well, too bad. <laughs> right. Because the reality is if I let you scale, even if you keep, even if I move you to team of teams and you manage to keep doing great and you're intuitively operating, the reality is that you're not able to develop the people inside of your organization except by example. Yes. And guess what? Example is is very powerful, but also it may not be what you intend. Well, and, and, so, and also good luck having enough time to set an example for everybody. That implies that they all have enough direct exposure to you. I mean, yes. like, honestly, I had very great relationships with some of my VP level people that I was accountable to over the years as a senior leader. And I still barely saw them. They were never at their desk. They were never around. You know, right. I knew what kind of people they were because I had worked with them for years, but like not because I had seen them any time in the last month, except in the yes. quarterly remu- review meeting that we had or whatever, you know? Right. So. And, and that's, so I think, I think that's a great one. Um, another one that, uh, I think I, I would look for when I'm, when someone comes up and they're like, Hey, I want to be a senior leader. So you asked, you mentioned the, can you explain what it is that you do? And for me, it was, can you get a team, even a small team to do it without being integral to what's going on? Can you, can you get them to produce a product without being integral? Um, and a lot of times what I would try to do is get someone, a, a second team, um, because, in, in, and I remember having conversations with people where, um, they're like, I'm totally overloaded and I don't know what to do. I have this team and it's this size. And like, I've got so much stuff going on. And I, one of the thought exercises, people hated me for this, but it, I, I think it's actually really important if you're thinking about if that person's also interested in a promotion because they're like, look how hard I'm working. And I'm like, okay, what if you had twice as much as you had now? What would you do? Yeah. Like I could never do it. Okay. Why do you want me to promote you? to the next level, to a, to the, to your next, like whatever it is, um, and put you in charge of a much larger space. 
if you couldn't take double what you have right now and run that? Because I didn't tell you you have to do all the things you're doing right now and just scale it infinitely. You are correct. Yeah. You would fall over if you had to do that. The, in fact, the point of the exercise is to help you understand what is it that I need to do that really matters and how do I get other people inside of the teams that I'm running to do the things that I can't that I don't have time to do and they're better off for someone else to do. You know, it's, it's really interesting because you're now, you're, as I hear you saying this, there's like waves of experience that I've had over the years coming over me where I've just seen frustrating examples of somebody being highly effective at execution, getting promoted into a scaled leadership role. And then that almost creating more problems for the organization immediately as that person just struggled to understand the basics of like how to, communicate their ideas, how to hold others accountable, do any of this stuff. Like, I mean, I see it actually a lot in uh, contributor disciplines in the video game space, like engineering and design and stuff like that. It's like, if this person is a fantastic designer, one of the best in the world, make them a lead designer. It's okay. Well, you know, or this person's a fantastic engineer. They're, 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 they, they're faster and write higher quality code than any other engineer on the team. Cool. Make them a engineering manager. And I'm like, whoa, you know what I mean? And again, I know that there's an effort to, to understand the nuances around these things and separate them, the different skill sets. But in general, that's the way most companies work is that again, there, well, there is this very linear view of scale and it just, it, it I think it, it's proven to be uh, inaccurate time and time again. Like, when is man when when you're in a leadership discipline like if you're an officer in the army you, one of your core jobs is leadership yeah. when you're a producer in video games or a product manager in software one of your core jobs is leadership so you don't get to be like well don't I'm just an expert product manager but I don't get to I don't want to lead anything or I'm just an expert producer in the video game space but I don't want to lead way, anything by the way I'd say I think it should be I think it isn't actually at a lot of places I think a That's, lot of places right. wouldn't be necessarily deliberate about that. Um, they, they would just be like, well, this person can manage a, pro, a, real, a small project really well. Can we give them a big project that they can manage really well? Like that That would be there. Again, they think it very terms of linear headcount, number of spreadsheets, scale, instead of going, how effective is this person at? Like, again, we just talked about a great example. Can you create a framework out of the stuff you do and show it to 50 people so that 50 people can do it? Or other leaders yeah. can and there, do it. There was an interview I did, and I, I'll never forget this interview. Um, it was with somebody, a very large company. Um, and I asked, like, cool, what's your scale? How many people do you lead? And they said 400. And I was like, oh, wow, that's a pretty big scale. Um, what do you do? And what I, over the course of the conversation, discovered is they assembled the reports into the meta report of the people that were leading 100 people. And those one people that led 100 people assembled the reports from the people that led 30 people. And those people assembled the reports from the people, and there was, and I, I really was like poking and like, well, what does it mean that you lead? And it's like, well, I put together the information that helps the person above me understand. You are an information conduit. You are, an, exactly. you are not a leader, you are an information conduit. But we frame that because we don't understand well, actually, to be f- what is the leadership, yeah. what a leader does. To be fair, in a, in a non-autonomous 
organization or non-aligned or, or sorry, a non-autonomous organization, leaders do often take on a lot more information conduit responsibilities because yes. they're th- them being able to inspire, create frameworks, like those things already exist. They come straight from the top. So it doesn't, it doesn't really matter if you can exactly. do that or not. Your, and- your ability to manage more stuff is, is, is ha- that, and that's, that's why we do this actually, I think is because that that's, if, if it's not important that everyone understands their context and can make thoughtful decisions in their own local space every day, like if all we're doing is all of us collectively looking up for the next order that comes down, the, then the leader officers or leaders in that structure just need to be really good information conduits and really good yes. managers of lots of stuff. That's it. Cause that, that you don't have an actual leadership role necessarily in that context. So the right. way we're thinking, the way we're describing it now, it's about following orders, not influencing others towards the goal. Okay. Yeah. The, the second big thing that was in that transition from like associate level or team level leadership up to like team of teams level leadership was uh, a sort of a temporal aspect. Like one of, one of the things I, mm-hmm. I love to talk to you about is um, I, I love to reference how you've approached several of the teams you've run directly over the last couple of years. Because one of the things I love is you'll be like, okay, I talked to these people. I, I ran this process to analyze what the challenges were, where the stakeholders were at with the product who was in what role, like you intook all this information and then you like laid out a roadmap of how you were going to address things and in what order you needed to do address them in. And there's a bunch that goes into that rationale, but there's a very strategic, it's not just, well, I need to get these guys communicating better. Why? Well, because it's important. Okay. Well, why would you do that over prioritization? They can't prioritize either. Cricket, cricket. And it's like, no, there was a rhyme and reason to why you selected certain things in certain orders. And you had, there was a journey that you had in mind, a maturity journey that you had for that team. And you were watching their, their progress along that journey and you could track that. So that was another thing too. It's like, are you just doing stuff every day? Like, are you just hustling? Hustling's great, right? But is that all you're doing is just hustling as hard as you can and hoping that the outcomes are good and hoping that the direction is good? Or do you actually have mastery over the direction, understanding over the direction? Do you have a vision for where this team yes. needs to go and what level on the maturity ladder? I don't make up your own maturity ladder. I don't care. Maybe it has seven levels in it. Are they on level two or three? Can you explain that and rationalize that to me? Boy, that that brings up... That was a big one too. If you couldn't do that, then I didn't have trust that... Because there's no, there's no actual like harness around that team at that point. You're just trying to do good stuff. And again, that works as long as you're there to do the good stuff. But if you're not there all the time anymore, the whole thing falls apart. I I hear two things in there. One is awareness of different time horizons. Mm -hmm. So what does it mean? Like as you become more senior as a leader, you're thinking longer and longer term as part of your job, in my opinion, like necessarily. And most people be like, yeah, intuitively that makes a lot of sense. But to do that, to think longer term is to actually put down some of the responsibility to think short term and let others do that. Mm -hmm. Because that's the only way you're gonna have brain space to go, okay, what's in the medium term, what's in the long term? The other thing that comes with thinking long term is vision becomes important. And I remember getting into debates about this which is like, hey, as a leader and as you're scaling, how important is it for you to have a vision? And in my opinion, regardless of what type of leader you are, 
having a vision of what the group you are leading is and where you want it to go becomes more and more important because otherwise you're going to get caught doing stuff, Mm -hmm. all the stuff you've always done, rather than saying, wait a minute, I could spend a bunch of time trying to make sure that all of the backlogs are in order by forcefully going and like sitting down with each product owner, let's say, and forcing them to fix every backlog. Um, Or I can go like, wait, could I teach them? Again, coming back to your idea of can I teach it? Could I teach them what I would like in a backlog, show that to them from my level uh, in some way, and then coach and mentor them as they walk down that journey and talk about why that's important. Because if I do that, now I've created a bunch of people who can make their own backlog rather than me having to jump down and say, let me help you fix your backlog because you're clearly not doing it well. Yeah, you know, it's interesting too. There's a trap I see a lot of junior leaders fall into as well there, which is like, is my team doing the stuff right? And if yes, then good, then the state is good. If no, then state is bad. And that's actually the contrary to what you're describing. When the person has a vision, it's like, okay, well, then we can make trade-offs. Then we can say, well, you know, given our vision, it's okay for us to have 70% efficacy here. Mm-hmm. And we're because we're focusing our efforts elsewhere. Or we've already got that down, so it doesn't matter if we have the perfect process or we execute it perfectly because we're focused you know, more on prioritization or more on strategy or, you know, more on collaboration or whatever it is. But like when that vision allows you to contextualize what you're investing in and what you're not and what trade-offs you're making. Um, Whereas like I saw a lot of junior leaders at at Riot and I've seen this elsewhere where it's like the, you know, the Slack channel of like the, the process Slack channel where everyone's discussing like how to do the process, right? Yeah. And it's just like, are you doing these six things? If you are, then your team is good. And it's like, no, like, and I think if you have that myopic view, you're actually not, Yes. you don't have a vision probably, or you don't have a sufficient vision. So another thing um, that I want to bring up is how do you relate to stakeholders and the leaders above you? Because as you become more senior, there's a, there's a difference in how you relate to hierarchy. When you're junior, you're sort of told what to do to some extent. And that's appropriate because you don't know. And even at a mid-level, what you are told to do should be a broader, more abstract problem space, but it should still be that like largely, hey, I need you to get this team to do this thing. Mm -hmm. And it may be less specific um, because you may start with that junior leader with this is what you need to do every day. And then you get to like, these are the things I want your team to achieve. And then you're still there to primarily solve problems that other people came up with. Exactly. And, And you can like, talk about that and converse about that, but it's more one-way communication in both those roles. When you start entering senior leadership, it's actually a a much more nuanced conversation um, because- And I think you're- You're 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 given control of a space. Exactly, and you're more accountable for what the problems are too. So, exactly. so I think there's 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 sort of a more proactive stance where you're like you're not just saying here's the solution I have to offer. You're saying here are the problems I see, and these are, and these this is the importance of those relatively, and here's the solutions yes. that I offer. So it's well, it's a more multifaceted kind of. It's it's because of that scaling. It's not even just here's the solutions I offer. It's here are the people in my organization that are going to solve yes. those problems. Yeah. 
I've helped them identify it. I've set a cultural framework for it. Yep. And so, so the conversation that you have with your leader and stakeholders is nuanced. To go back to, I love that point you just made. It's a huge point because that's when it's working well. If the, the, if the, if the, from the top, it poor incentives are in place, that actually narrative is not acceptable. And we've seen that a lot too. Because yes. you know, well, I don't want to hear that your people have got it. You need to know all the answers. If you don't need right. to know all the answers, then you're failing as a leader. Like, I, I hate that when you're in an environment where saying, I have my top people on that and I trust them and they've demonstrated results. I understand their plans but I don't know all the details. They know all the details and they're going to fix it. And here's when that's going to be fixed by And Here's so here's the frame around that. But like, I'm not going to, I don't, I'm not going to go micromanage the hell out of each one of them and pick apart every detail of their plan so that I can then reflect to you, my leader, what every aspect of their plan is so that you and I both feel a, a modicum of security yes. that we're still in control like that, that, that right there is a whole messed up system. But like that, I, I want to just, I wanted to emphasize that because I love what you said there. And I've seen organizations where that's not acceptable. Right. That narrative would not be acceptable. Hey, here's, here's the plan. People are on it. We're good. Here's when you'll hear about, hear an update. But that, that reminds me of the concept of just trust mm -hmm. as you, you know, you want to be able to trust your team at every single one of these levels, You want, whether it's a team, a team of teams, uh, like a, a, a large organization uh, that's a team of team of teams or whatever it is, um, you have to be able to trust, but it's a question of like, who do you trust? At some level, you want to trust everybody. More specifically though, and this is that thing where we talked about the like the person with 40 one-on-ones, still trying to basically hold all the threads in their hand. And we've known a couple of people that have done this. They're just desperately holding on to every thread, trying to keep everything together by talking to everybody and being the example to everybody and doing everything versus the person who realizes that when I'm running a 50 person space, I'm still primarily interacting with probably six or eight people. Yeah. And now my job is through them to disseminate healthy behavior and culture and those things. So I, I only still need those same six to eight one-on-ones. I don't need a million. So what was the last section we were going to dive into? The final section was going to be what are our recommendations? Like what do we what do we think should happen? And again, there's 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 a couple different layers to this. I think there's like an industry-wide layer, which is like we need to start teaching people how to do this stuff. You know what? Like we I'm need to back up one even from that and say we need to understand what this is and then we can start teaching it. That, no, that's fair. Yeah, that's really fair. I actually, I, maybe there are, like you said, maybe there are like scholars out there that we need to find who get this stuff and have already like mapped all this out. But like, I have never even heard of a training that like breaks this stuff down in a way. Like I, like all the tools that I have, I created for myself yep. purely out of desperation. <laughs> yeah, I was no, doing I, this. Same thing. And the I models guess, I have on this were like, I guess it was figured like, out through trial and error. It came from a good place. I felt accountable for it. You know what I mean? Like I, I, for, for me, I think one of the worst nightmare situations I could ever be in was having a direct report ask me why they couldn't get promoted and me feeling like I was bullshitting them or I didn't have a good answer to that oh, question. Gosh, yeah. Like yeah. I felt I, I felt super, super, super obligated to that person to have a good answer and be able to explain specifically what they needed to do to get there in clear terms. And that actually 
was a big impetus for me to develop frameworks myself around yeah. not not just framework the frameworks I wanted them to have on how to execute and deliver and lead, but frameworks for how I would promote and mature my leaders that were I was responsible for. Right. So yeah, yeah, and th- and that so that that's where all my technique came from. But yeah, I mean. I would have loved to learn some of this. I mean, I, I did get, I did, I did get some good advice over the years. That was yeah. helpful. Well, I think we had, we had some good examples too. There were yeah. some, there were some good mentor. I had some good mentors around this, yeah. both in the military at riot. Like, yeah. I mean, even before in some sense. Um, but I, when, when I think about what is it that you want to do, you know, if you're the individual and you're like, okay, I'm trying to figure out how I scale myself. Um, one of the things is to recognize if you if you require more than those six to eight one-on-ones, I would ask yourself some serious questions. You know, maybe you've got some that are optional, like, oh, I have one-on-ones with my men. But I mean, like, related to the group you're running. Um, if, you're, if you've scaled up and you started with a team and now you're running three teams and the way you're doing that is by you know, having one-on-ones or being directly involved in every single backlog or whatever, my question to you would be, what would it mean to put that down? And maybe that question I asked um, someone I was managing, multiple people I was managing actually, um, which was, what if you had twice the teams you have now? What if you had twice the responsibility from a headcount perspective and a product perspective that you have right now? What would you do? What would you drop? And recognizing what's most important for you to do and what's most important for you to train other leaders in your space to do, and then recognizing that it's not actually critical for you to know every detail of every bit. It's your responsibility to know the people who know that. And as you go further and further up, the interesting thing is that disconnect, and it is to some extent a disconnect, will become greater and greater. You'll know the people that know the people that know the people that know what's going on. But that's okay. Yeah, and I think and I think knowing what's going on changes flavor, right? Like exactly. you should understand the the level of reliability, capability, effectiveness, demonstrated results, successes, failures of each of the people that are in your org that are that are accountable to you. But n- knowing should you be able to explain the nuances of the work they're doing and why they picked piece A of work over piece B and how they're putting out fire C and like that's the kind of stuff you need to let go of, right? Yes. This, the, the You should be able to explain why and rationalize why you selected that person for that job and how they're doing and how their team is or is not fulfilling their role effectively within your broader frame framework. Yeah. Like, and, so that, and, and I guess from that perspective, you, it's not just, you know, the people who have the answers, you do have the answers. It's just a different kind of answer. Really? Correct. Yes. And I, I think another one I would um, encourage is when you, when you become, or when you're interested in becoming that more senior leader, um, what you know has to change how you relate to others has to change. And one thing I would encourage you to do is, can I obsolete my current role while I'm in it? Um, one of the most fascinating things that happened when I was on like a 50-person team doing a multi-year project uh, that was like high importance, by the end, I almost didn't have a job, which was really interesting. Um, and I view that actually as a success. And some could say, like, you just offloaded all your responsibility on everybody else and you weren't doing anything. And it was like, well, no, I was actually doing 
a different thing. I had shifted from being actively involved in every component of what was going on to mentoring those who were doing that. And I remember, similarly to what I was just describing, in that 50-person group, I had a partner leader and I had a group of about six to eight key leaders in the space. And through conversation with them, I would start getting the vibe. And then my job, as I viewed it, had shifted from make sure we're regularly delivering something to are we as a group of leaders regularly setting this entire space up to succeed in the medium and long term. Mm -hmm. And that shift in focus, like it was through the obsoleting of my role. And it's not that I didn't have anything, but like I had very little actually left to do. And I remember being kind of surprised by it as we rolled into where some people would have said, you should have been the most crazy and the most busy. You're getting ready to ship this giant update and all these things. And I was actually like, I'm really relaxed. We've got it. And you know why I know we've got it? Because I have key leaders who I trust immensely, who have demonstrated their ability, have, have sort of grown with the project, who can handle everything that's going to come up. Yeah. And if they need help, I'm here. Yeah. Um, and I have, it's an interesting thing, I have bandwidth to help them. Yeah. So let's talk about our advice, our specific advice for senior leaders who may feel like they want to adapt to be better suited in their current mm -hmm. environments okay. yeah. or junior leaders who want to grow into this. So I think like, let's, yeah, we, let's start with junior because we covered some of those specifically. Like, I think when we're talking about junior leadership, moving into some form of scaled leadership. So like you're on a team as a team level lead and you want to become the leader of multiple groups. So, so this implies that there are other leaders that are somehow accountable to you in some way. Um, you're now leading leaders, if you will. Um, the first thing we mentioned is frameworks. Can you extract the the effective methods that you use to get results from your one team into something that is communicable, uh, something that is understandable, uh, something that is um, others, can use. others can use in their context as well. Like, do you understand the meta of why your stuff works and what the strengths and weaknesses of, of it are? And can you communicate that? Um, the second thing is vision. Yeah. Do you see where do you can you look at your teams and say the this is where I want need all of these teams to be for starters this is where the organization needs all these teams to be and this is their journey to get there and here are the steps on that journey uh, and then can you put in place a meta plan not just a plan in the sense of like what work are we going to do but a meta plan that matures each of those teams so this is what I would call strategy. Do you have a, in your mind, at the very least, a step-by-step -step approach to the things that you need to see from that team for them to move in that direction to achieve your vision? So it's frameworks, it's vision, and I'll just call the last part strategy, basically. Yeah. And I want to tag something into that strategy lens, because actually, now that you say that, that was something else I think I looked for. Can you raise your level of awareness outside of the context of your team into the surrounding teams mm -hmm. and start recognizing like not just sort of how do we get how do I get the team or teams I'm leading to deliver stuff but how does that relate to the broader goal that the broader organization I'm a part of is trying to deliver and am I actually actively assisting and force multiplying other parts of the organization in some way 
even while I'm just leading my team. Yeah. Um, and I think this was actually a core expectation you had of me when you brought me in as a senior leader, but in a one team role, like you, you'd talk with me about like, I don't just want you running your one team. I need you also looking at the big picture. And that was important in that space multiple times because I had bandwidth because I was just running one team. Well, otherwise I was going to be bringing a nuke to a knife fight as well. So that was, <laughs> it's not, not necessarily a great use of resources, but yeah. Um, yeah. Let's, let's talk about uh, senior level leadership. I think we mm-hmm. talked about letting go and I know that's, that's, that sounds like an abstract thing, but I think it is really worth looking at what are you going to what like really thinking about what that dividing line is between you and the lead lead of leaders that are below you um so the group leads that are below you if you're a vp or a director or whatever and what is it that you expect of them to do in their role and what things do you feel like they should be concerned with and more, just as importantly, what things are you no longer going to be concerned with? Yes. Because if you don't have at least a couple answers to that question, that means you haven't let anything go. And that means you have not scaled, period. Yes. So, and if you're in an autonomous organization where you want your people to feel empowered and to solve problems on their own without you constantly being involved and managing them, then that goes even triple, I would say. Yeah. And one thing I might look at is in that letting go space you're letting go of a lot, like you're letting go of some amount of awareness in order to, because here's the thing, we only have 100% of our total awareness to work with, right? And what we should be aware of, I think most people would agree with this, needs to change as we go up in organization, but we still only have 100% of our total awareness. It doesn't grow. Um, So you're letting go to some degree of awareness of certain things. And so if you are a senior leader like a really senior leader at an organization, and you realize you know a bunch of details about your teams and like how they're prioritizing individual pieces of work and what their solutions are, I would argue you may have awareness of things that would be better left to the levels of leaders below you. And that's preventing you from potentially having awareness of the things that you should be aware of around long-term vision, company strategy, that sort of thing. Yeah. So that's one, you're letting go of awareness in order to, again, replace that awareness with something more useful to your role. You're also letting go of relationships. Um, you're letting go, and, and this is tough because you want to at some level, like there's a there's a value in staying connected to the people actually doing the work and recognizing that they are what ultimately everyone is serving. Every leader is serving the people on the ground doing the work. So you want to have some awareness of what that reality is like. I'm not saying break all ties, but I am saying that you, if you still have massive numbers of relationships that you're like investing a lot of time maintaining with people that are like on the ground doing work, um, you may want to start shifting those relationships towards leaders in your space and surrounding spaces that are related to your space. Yeah, so at that's the very some, least prioritize those yeah. for sure. Then I think another thing you're doing is letting go of skills. And this one's really hard because what we mentioned before, the reason you may have been promoted once, twice, even more times than that, maybe because you were so good at a particular thing. You were so good at writing a particular report or getting this to be format or like handling backlogs. And you may still be so excited to apply that in all the teams that you run in this giant scaled space. And the reality is that it's possible you're just detracting from your leader's ability to step into their own by doing that. 
and by continuing to use that skill all the time. Yeah. And you're not developing the skills that are going to help you be successful. So the things you're letting go, and I, I want to be really clear about this, the things you're letting go of, you're not letting go of so that you can do nothing and drink Mai Tais on the beach. You're letting go of those skills so that you can pick up the new skills. But just like the awareness, just like the relationships, because there's a different set that are now relevant to you. Um, and so that that would be something I would I would. Uh, yeah. And I would say encourage. I would say that um, in a scenario also where you're uh, the folks that are directly responsible to you um, are a team or maybe a couple of leaders. Uh, if you're at that level, that probably means there are a significant amount of leaders and they and you form the nucleus and the structure of what good looks like for your organization. Yes. And so that means that you need to have a very entrenched philosophy, knowledge basin, and set of opinions on what good looks like for leadership. Yes. Because most of your time is now focused on leadership, I think. Yes. Um, and so that's important as well. So you may be like, ah, I'm not really into leadership stuff or, you know, I'm more of a like, let's get stuff done kind of person. Like, that's great. Like that, that energy can be super helpful. But if, if you can't objectively assess the effectiveness of each of the leaders that works for you from a leadership point of view, based on your frameworks, it's not going to work. Yeah. Cause you, then you can't train them. You can't point them to the right resources to help them level you up. You can't hold them. You can't hold them accountable, and you're never going to know who's doing a good job or a bad job within a leadership context. You might know who's delivering the most stuff, but if that's the only litmus you have, then you're actually now reinforcing some of these bad scale patterns that we were seeing. Yes. So you basically have to recognize that leadership and leadership at scale is its own set of expertise. You would never expect someone who just could work really hard to step into a highly complex role of rocket scientist and be able to design good rockets just because they were working hard. That person has to have studied and has to have understood. And maybe that wasn't the most fun for them, but it's something they had to do so that they could apply their hard work into the context of building rockets. Um, and I think that's that's something to to keep in mind. Um, I think also, you, you know, that that... Like, what are those skills that I would say that you need to pick up if you're in the more senior leadership? And I think we just alluded to them throughout this conversation, but be, being really direct about it, it is, what is the culture? How do I create it? What is the culture I want? How do I create it? How do I work with a small group of people to have a broad impact? And you have an advantage going for you here, though it's also often a disadvantage if it's not done well, which is, it's well known that organizations emulate their leaders. Like just across the board, if you've been in a lot of different organizations, it's something you see over and over and over. Organizations begin to emulate their leaders. This is a wonderful advantage if you are very deliberate about how you're showing up because the organization is going to start to emulate you. You are setting through your example what good leadership looks like. So if you're culturally focused uh, on like, let's say it's an empowerment-based culture, you're empowering the leaders underneath you. Um, making sure that they're learning and growing, providing opportunities for failure, but also the learning that follows failure and making sure that those two things are connected. You're you're creating a results-focused organization that also allows for the fact that sometimes results don't happen and you're not getting trapped in outcome bias. Like these, let's say you're trying to create that culture, you model that in your interactions with the key people around you uh, and you will start actually seeing that propagate throughout the org. And that's something else I would say. 
you always want to have those six to eight people that are part of your group that you're regularly interacting with and helping mentor, grow, teach, and learn from, honestly. And if you don't have them, if that group is huge or non-existent, I would argue that you're probably not as effective as you could be at holding the space that you need to as a leader. Well, hopefully you found this valuable and we will see all of you next time. Um, and to give a, a quick recap of what we've talked about today. So we've covered, we've, what we've been really focusing on is leadership at scale and what, is, what scale really means. So a lot of misconceptions around that. We started by talking about some of the problems we see, then went into our experience and some specific stories, and then kind of finally ended it with some specific things you can focus on if you want to improve here. So hopefully, again, it was valuable, and we will see you all next time on the Valarin Perspective. Thanks for listening to the Valarin Perspective. Send us your thoughts at perspectives at valarinconsulting.com. Valarin, V-A-L-A-R-I-N, consulting.com. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Valarin, Inc.